Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create a thriving future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes. I'm the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted that on our show today is Jean Leslie. Jean is a senior fellow and director of strategic initiatives at the Center for Creative Leadership, CCL. Jean's published more than 90 pieces on leadership, assessment, and feedback. In, in the form of peer-reviewed articles, popular press articles, book chapters, and books. So Jean is amazingly accomplished in, in this field of leadership with several focuses. And for the Voice America show, my goal is for our listeners to hear something of value each session that you can use to either up, upgrade your mindset or change your behavior as a leader. We are all facing such dramatic change at such a rate that for us to stay current as leaders, we need to make these shifts on a regular basis. So what our goal for today is for you as our listeners to understand polarity thinking and the three critical factors for virtual team success. Second, to learn how to develop a new mindset and skill set to manage polarities and exercise overall virtual team effectiveness. So, Jean, thank you so much for joining us. What would you like to tell us about your background before we jump into questions? Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, Just to share that I have been with the center for 30 years, so I've had lots of opportunity to look at leadership. And my most recent work with virtual teams has been very exciting and informative, and I'm really glad to be here to talk about kind of this unique skill and perspective called polarity thinking. Cool. So why don't you help us understand what is polarity thinking? Well, polarity thinking is really about the ability to recognize and the capacity to hold two opposing ideas. They could be ideas, values, competencies, strategic outcomes, but to hold those in your mind and to get the best from both. So really to kind of understand polarity thinking, it's important to understand the meaning of polarities. And for many of the listeners, they may have heard them called paradox or tensions. I've even heard wicked problems. Whatever you call them, they're desirable pairs that appear to be at odds with one another. But in reality, they're complementary and they're interdependent, meaning that they need each other and neither is sufficient alone. So really it's the conflict or the tension that exists between the pairs that creates the opportunity. So can you in your article give some very specific examples? Can you share with our listeners some, some specific examples about what this might mean to help bring it into focus for them? Absolutely. So let's start with one that's, that's really simple and easy to understand, and that is really the polarity of activity and rest. So if you're an athlete, you know that rest is essential to your ability to build muscle, to gain strength, and yet if you rest for too long, you have to rebuild to get back the strength and 
prowess that you had before the break. So that's one example. There's specific other ones that are easy kind of to recognize. Probably almost everyone who works has some issues or concern around home and work. Their goals that are short-term and long-term. The classic definition of leadership, which is task and relationship, this is essential to be able to do both. Uh, mission and margin, if you're in a nonprofit organization like the Center for Creative Leadership, paying attention to both mission and margin are essential. So really with polarities, the trick isn't in solving it. The trick is in leveraging it effectively. So to restate that, it's recognizing when you're dealing with the polarity versus a problem to be solved and recognizing Correct. that that how we respond then is is not a solution, but an understanding and a balancing. Is that correct? Well, understanding is the first step, you know, being able to recognize when you have a polarity. And then there's the question of what do you do about it? A lot of people think about balancing work and home. And I, and I think it's less of a balancing act and more of a paying attention to kind of where the threshold is. So sometimes you end up having to put more time in work and your home life suffers, and sometimes that shifts. So I think it's really paying attention to kind of what are the thresholds. And in general, you know, in our research at the center, we found that teams that are a- able to leverage both poles or the ends of the polarity are more effective. So so you call that managing the tensions, right? Uh, yes. So I recognize the benefit of both rest and working out, and I have to navigate between both poles as work and family appropriately. Appropriately Correct. being the operative, that's where the, the balancing or the managing or the um, leveraging happens. Correct. So it's kind of interesting. Once you understand the concept of polarity, um, it's really hard not to see them or to unsee them. You'll see them everywhere in your life. And having the tools or the skills to work with them really increases your overall effectiveness. You know, this is something I've studied for a while, and I'm so delighted that you're speaking about it today, because I do think it's one of the key elements to later stage or more effective leadership is the ability to see the difference between an either or, a both and, a problem versus attention, and really knowing how to respond speaks to our sophistication as a leader. So so this is such an important conversation. Absolutely. And you know, problems have solutions, and that's really where that either-or thinking comes in. So with virtual teams, every year when it comes to budgeting time, they have to make a decision. You know, do we put in money in our budget for face-to-face time, or do we continue to use technology to leverage the team? That's a problem to be solved, much like, you know, today at lunch, if you had to choose between a salad and a burger. Those have single solutions, but polarities are not like that. They're endless, they're unsolvable, and they're unstoppable, and they require a both-and mindset. And with the either-or thinking, if you try either-or thinking approach to resolve or to deal with a polarity, it really invites people to 
join into one of two camps, either my camp or your camp. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> but if you use polarity thinking in terms of both, then we're both right. So that's really kind of the recognition that you have a polarity. And there are outward signs of that. So it's persistent tension, you know, ongoing chronic issues. So it doesn't matter what approach you try. It does not go away. Um, you probably have a, pro- a polarity then and not a problem. So recognizing it is important and first. And then, you know, talking about what are the benefits of both sides. So you've covered a lot of this, but in your paper, you talk about supporting statistics for the benefits of polarity thinking. Can you share with our listeners some of those supporting statistics? Absolutely. So we worked with 140 teams. These were across the globe in various industries. And we were really testing the an inter what we call an intervention, which was really polarity training. What we did was introduce teams to polarity thinking. We gave them feedback on some polarities. And then we worked with them on kind of the follow-up piece, which is the so what, what do you do about it? Now, the teams that we worked, we tracked them over a six-month period. And the teams that explored polarity thinking and got their results, their team outcomes did improve, but that was by a modest 2 to 5%. The teams that deliberately focused on polarity, so they were the ones who did, um, you know, locked and really wrote down and monitored how well they were leveraging the polarity, um, their outcomes improved over 50%. And these teams, you know, looking at them, the ones that really improved, their performance improved, their overall commitment to the team improved, their satisfaction, their desire to want to stay together as a team improved, and they also had more informal learning. So in our research, it really did make a difference. And it sounds like you're referring to the distinction between I learn about polarities and then I go off and do what I always did versus I implement specific practices in my work. Exactly. So talking about it is one thing and learning about it, but actually practicing and implementing something to deal with it. Um makes a huge difference. And in the training, I can tell you, we, we did follow-up with teams and those in those teams that we followed up with. And this was just a simple, you know, how are things going? What are you learning? What are you working on? It just had a huge um, impact on whether or not they gained in their um, outcomes of the team, whatever that may be, increased. So is that something like a certain period of months coaching just to ensure that they had the support they needed for the uptake? Well, actually, this was far less than coaching. We had one, Ah. you know, the session where we gave them feedback and then really left it up to the team. We gave them a log to fill out and really encouraged them to document what behaviors they were doing. So with the polarities, you know, you think about something as a pole where you would have change on one end and stability on the other. This is a common polarity change and stability. And we asked teams to think about what are the upsides of both. So if you got the best out of 
the change, what would that look like? And if you got the best out of the stability, what would that look like? So we really worked with teams to identify, you know, what they wanted and then how they behaviorally could continue to make that happen if they were already doing it or what they needed to do to improve. Then we also looked at the downside. So if they over-focused on change, so if they're constantly changing and not paying attention to stability, you know, what are the downsides of that? And we did the same thing with stability. So if you're always doing things the same way you always have and you don't change your focus or your behavior, you know, what are some consequences of that? And with teams, we worked with them to make sure that they identified, you know, what would be some indicators that they were falling into the downsides or or behaving in ways that um, would lead them down a road or path they didn't want to go. So it was. So it's uh, sorry. Go ahead. It was a, a all team discussion that took place, and yeah. an all team buy in to move forward. And that that's one of, I'm assuming, many exercises you do over the course of the training. Yes. Then we have cool. a, for some teams, we had a follow-up session, and we had an ending session with every team as well. So that was a reassessment of the polarities that they um, got feedback on the first time. Cool. Thank you. We're getting close to break, so I'd like to suggest that we go to break now and we will come back and talk more about the either or mindset and how that impacts virtual teams. So this is Jean Leslie and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about how polarities impact virtual teams and polarities overall. And for our listeners, while you're on break, I encourage you to think about what polarities or paradoxes are you facing in your work right now that you would like to learn more about and hold that in mind as we enter the second segment. We'll be right back after break. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you for joining Jean Leslie and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about polarity thinking and its impact on virtual teams. So before break, we talked about, I asked you as listeners to reflect on the polarities that you're facing. Now, Jean, let's move into the next question. How does an either-or mindset hurt virtual teams? So treating polarities uh, like they're problems to solve with a single solution is a guarantee set up for failure. So if you think about a pendulum, uh, polarities swing. And if you focus on one part of the polarity, and let's go back to the change stability example. If you're constantly in change, it won't be too long before stability, the need for stability and the benefits of stability start to show up. So there's a there's kind of a, a swing from one side to another when there is an over-focus on one pole to the neglect of the other. So really in polarity thinking, the change efforts require a new skill set. So either or thinking is perfectly fine and wonderful if you have a problem, but if you have a polarity, the both and thinking is really what the new mindset requires 
And the skill set is really thinking through then, you know, what are the values or the benefits that I want to reap from the polarity? And then what are the kind of the gotchas, the things that I want to watch out for so that we don't slip into the downsides? So I'm thinking for our leaders, some some of our listeners are natural at at understanding attention and managing it, whether they've had this language or not. And, and most of us are probably also thinking of a time that we treated something, tried to solve for, that we should have been managing the, the tensions. Um, so how, as leaders, can we implement polarity thinking within virtual teams? Do you have recommendations for our listeners? So, yes, and, you know, somewhat of this conversation about polarities is abstract. So let's see if we can Mm -hmm. make it a little bit more concrete. And I mentioned before, we know we have a persistent tension. We've tried everything, single solution we can throw at it, and it's not working. So really at this point, you know, the role of the leader is to kind of explore the opportunities and the advantages in the tension. So some people might want to run away or deny it, uh, but let's look at the tension straightforward. And using an old tool, I take a piece of paper or a flip chart, And on it, I draw a vertical line and then a horizontal line. And in the horizontal line, at one end, I'm going to call that a pole. I would name one piece of the polarity. So let's use um, mission margin, for example, in this one. So on one end, I'm going to put mission. And then at the opposite end of that line, that horizontal line, I'm going to write margin. Now, what I'd ask the team to do and the leader to facilitate this conversation is then to ask, you know, what are the upsides of that, of being mission focused? And what, what are some of those, Maureen? Certainly, if I'm chartered as a nonprofit to accomplish a mission, um, help uh, feed the homeless or Meals on Wheels, feeding the elderly, the mission is in, critical in some cases to the health and survival of my recipients. Absolutely. Fantastic. And then what is an upside then of being margin focused? If I want to be able to add new customers and support the ones I have, customers being the people receiving the meals who aren't necessarily paying, I have to find ways to support the organization so that we can afford the food, afford the drivers, afford the people who prepare the food, so that recipients, when they need them, get life-sustaining nourishment. Perfect. So now we know we've got this polarity, mission and margin. So we want to feed, clothe, and take care of people. And we also need money to do that. So there are downsides, so we've identified, you've identified the upsides, but there's downsides associated with these two. So if we spend most of our time being mission-focused to the neglect of margin, what can happen? We go out of business and ultimately (laughs) our customers, (laughs) and especially in a nonprofit where people's health and well-being is counting on us, 
it's really challenging to the community of people who receive our services. Exactly. And that's the worst case scenario. Okay, we're out of business now. Now, on the other side, if we are so focused on margins, so we've got that money now, but we neglect the mission, what can happen? Our recipients aren't getting appropriate services. And again, I'm for a lot of our nonprofits, people count on these services um, for rides to cancer treatments, for daily food to pay their utility bills. Some of our nonprofits really are life supporting, not just nice to do. Excellent. You have summarized that so very well. So here's a very good example of where both paying attention to mission and margin are key. You see how we walk through the conversation of what are the upsides, what are the downsides? Now the next step is to think, well, how can we do both? How can we be both mission and margin focused? And then, you know, in our context, what's suitable for us to do? And what would it look like if we accomplished both mission and margin? If we're doing both of those well, what would that look like? And then we have to pay attention to, all right, back to this pendulum swing. If we are not paying attention to margin, how will we know? You know, what will that look like? So we'll know we won't be able to feed the homeless or we won't be able to drive people for cancer treatment. And on the other side, what does it look like if we're so uh, mission-focused to the neglect of margin, then we run out of money or we run out of business. Um, In this, you know, kind of discussion, how to work with teams, this is a very kind of simple way to get started to think about whether or not this is a polarity and what we can do to start to address it. So by plotting on the poles and what we, what we end up with is our favorite thing as consultants of, a two-by-two matrix, so the positive of one pole (laughs) on on one side, the positive of the other pole on the top, the negative of one pole, the negative. And we can see where we travel, right, if we focus too much. I Well, I'm a consultant. I love these little two-by-twos. And part of the reason I love this one is I can see what happens over time when I've made these shifts and solving as a problem moves me into initially the positive and then the negative of that pole, right? Right. By not balancing. Right. Thank you. So That's is, a beautiful way to illustrate it. It's, 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 you know, the two by two, there's a beautiful simplicity in a concept that at first is somewhat difficult to grasp. But then, you know, once you start to work with it, as I mentioned before, um, you can use it in all parts of your life. It, I've read books that focus on family therapy and polarities in there. You know, it goes back 5,000 years to religion, so or studies of it do. So it's a very useful tool to have. And as you mentioned in the introduction, it's, our work is even more complex having this perspective and tool set is key. 
Well, so let's bring this back then to virtual teams. What? Let's pick a polarity. And we talked about change and stability. You've talked about um, autonomy and uh, more collaboration. Let's do one example on virtual teams just to illustrate for our listeners uh, another example of, of what this would look like specifically for them. Absolutely. So one of the um, kind of biggest predictors of success in terms of polarity was task and relationship. And if you think about it, so you work virtually, you have a team that you have regularly scheduled meetings with, of which you either do on the phone or video conferencing within a bounded period of time. And within that time, you know, there are tasks to be done. There's items to check off a list. And with virtual teams, because you don't, you're not co-located and you don't see your colleagues often, you know, tracking progress on projects is very important to do. So very task-focused is an important part of working virtually. But there's also the relationship piece that's key. It's often or sometimes difficult for teams when they're first starting um, to recognize this. So relationship building, having an opportunity to get to know the teams is key. And for many of our teams, you know, this was a, a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I have worked with teams for years, and often the, the question is, why do we do this team building stuff? We've got real work to do. And uh-huh. yet, <laughs> learning to trust my colleagues and knowing what I can count on from them seems rather important. And it's even, you know, it is trickier to do virtually, but it's even more important. And it can be done virtually. It can be. You're absolutely right. So, so if the polarity is task versus relationship, the upside of task is I get stuff done. What's the downside of I'm too task focused? Then relationships do suffer. Okay. People don't have the opportunity to get to know each other. You know, that camaraderie in teams is very important for effectiveness. And then I assume the upside of relationships is I build the camaraderie. And the downside is I focus too much on relationships and the tasks suffer. Right. And so you've probably you, been on a, in a work group where it's been very relationship-focused, um, you know, lots of laughter, um, lots of check-ins on how the family is <laughs> doing. And then, you know, you get to the work in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I call those groups I used to belong to. Um <laughs> So if you are coaching me, because I'm probably more on the task side at times and probably others more on the relationship side, how would you coach me as a team lead to balance task and relationship? What, what would I need to do? So some of this, um, working virtually, sending an agenda out beforehand is very important. Um, it's important for people to get into the right minds and framework. I mean, that's a simple thing that can be done, but it, 
and it's important when you're not working virtually, but when you're in a virtual team, it's even more important. You know, thinking about when you're going to use and how you're going to use technology is another key piece. So in the research that we've done here at the center, um, using technology so that you feel more virtual um, really leads to commitment on the team. And by that, I mean using um, video conferencing. You know, video conferencing, I know a lot of people are not comfortable with it. And, I, you know, I have to admit that I, too, am learning how to do that. But it enables the team members to see your face, to see your body language, um, to get to know a little bit about who you are by those nonverbal cues. So using technology in the appropriate means and ways is very important. Then it's surprisingly to a lot of people who work with virtual teams, there is one-on-one um, -on -one connections that people often make through technology that's not group-centered, like IMing or texting one another. So teams that are really effective use text or IMing to check in with each other on a regular basis. So as the team lead, you may not even know that's happening. And it happens on some of my teams where you'll get in the middle of a meeting, here comes a message in from someone saying, did I hear that correctly or can that be right? Um, those kinds of things really build relationships. It keeps people connected informally in a way that's really important for the team. And I could probably go on for hours <laughs> other ways to do this. So I'll just kind of end here with, you know, paying attention to both is, is important, and I, too, tend to be extremely task-focused. So it's really something I personally have to pay attention to. Thank you. That's a beautiful example for how we use technology to deal with the, the polarities of engagement and, and task. We're going to go to break and right now, and we'll be back with Jean and Maureen talking about polarities momentarily. And for our listeners, I invite you, after listening to that example of task and engagement or relationship, where do you fall? Are you more heavily focused on task? And how does that emphasis and potentially overemphasis impact you? If you fall more on the side of relationship, how is that a plus? And if overdeveloped, how is that a downside? And how might you mitigate that? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're with Jean Leslie and Maureen Metcalf. And we're talking about polarities and how they impact virtual teams' effectiveness. So before the break, we talked about as a leader or a participant, are you more task-focused or are you more relationship-focused? Now Jean's going to talk about how we use the, your results and think about factors that impact virtual team effectiveness. Okay, great. So I mentioned that we worked with 140 teams. These were teams globally located um, across all different kinds of industries. And in this research, we looked at factors of team diversity. So this would be within the team, you know, gender, the age of team members, education, tenure, org level, and country. We also looked at team virtuality, of which we measured via how they use tools and those tools to help coordinate um, their work and processes. We looked at physical distance 
via time zones, so how many time zones do the teams work across? And we also looked at team commitment, task interdependence, so mm-hmm. how does the workflow and um, hours per week on the team. So of all of those, there were three key factors that influenced teams' ability to leverage polarities. One of those was um, the technology piece, so that virtual piece, using tools to feel less distant from one another, really increased the commitment to the team. We also looked at the time zones. Uh, In our study, it turns out that we had, on average, teams that worked across three different time zones. We had some teams that worked across nine of them. But the greater that physical distance and the number of time zones, the lower the commitment was to the team. So those team members that work across multiple time zones uh, have a hard time being committed and really engaged with the team. And unlike a polarity, this really does call for um, decision-making and norm setting on the part of the team. So if you have a team that has team members, and you may experience this yourself, you have some team members that are up very early for meetings and some team members that are up really late. Now, it's really important to switch around those time meetings so that it's not the same people getting up early and the same people staying up late. So time zones can be a real um, kind of killer to virtual team effectiveness. The other thing that impacts polarities in teams is the team structure. So the number of people on the team has an impact. It's really ideal, according to the um, literature, to have teams that range somewhere between nine, I mean, five to nine people. That's the range. So less people or more people can become um, burdensome, burdensome. We also found that um, the number of teams that people were on, the number of virtual teams was also a problem. So in our research, we really encourage teams to think about whether or not their members that they have, the roles that they play, are they core to the work of the team? If you're core to the team, you can expect to be you know, more highly involved over a long period of time and to be a real key contributor in terms of deliverables. And if you're a peripheral member, of course, you support the team's work and it may be involved over a lesser time. But really it was important, you know, in our research that those three factors be addressed, which is really, you know, is technology being used so that the team members feel close, less far away, Time zones, what kind of time zones, how many are they in or apart from one another, and what can the team do about that? And then the size and the structure of the team were other key factors that influence the polarities. So to build on the last one, you talked about structure, number of people on the team, and how many teams an individual is on and the role they play. Is there anything else in um, maximizing structure that, or ma- to use the variable of structure to maximize success? Well, it was, so those were two things 
the the size of the team, the um, number of teams that members are on. We found nothing mm-hmm. about team diversity, and this is really common in the literature. So the individual composition of the team in terms of age, education, country, gender did not impact the team. But we did find um, that difference in perspectives does. So if you have a team that is made up of individuals who um, have different viewpoints and the team is really good about and open to pulling out or encouraging people to share those perspectives, it really is um, beneficial for the team. It improves their overall effectiveness. So that's a really important insight again. How would I know as I'm building the team if I can't look at color of skin or gender or some of the easy indicators that I can just look at their picture, how do I know if they're going to have a different perspective? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So, and I guess the thing you really want to avoid here is group think. Mm -hmm. Um, So one way to do that is to, you know, ask people um, about the the work at hand, you know, what approach would you take? What perspective do you bring? I mean, one of the, I suppose, easy ways to do that is to make sure that your teams are um, department, cross-department or cross-groups, that it's combined from various parts of the organization. Um, The other thing... I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say cross-functional makes perfect sense because it is likely that at a minimum I'm going to have the mindset of the part of the organization in which I'm employed. Right, right. And one of the polarities that we assessed teams and on and gave feedback on was advoc- we called advocacy and inquiry. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, some teams you have members that tend to be quiet. And that can be personality-related, introversion. It could be a cultural difference. They tend not to readily or freely express their ideas and viewpoints. So we encourage teams to kind of advocate um, for their viewpoints and perspectives, but to inquire for those people who tend to be more quiet. So, you know, in terms of behaviors, that's one way to bring out or start to pull out different perspective. Mm-hmm. So let's shift now because I realize we're coming closer to the end of our interview and I want to make sure we hit this last question. How can leaders help their virtual teams feel more connected? Especially right. when we've got so, people with different points of view, right? It's, I am, it's harder to connect with people who are different than me than folks who are just like me. Well, to start out with some very simple things is really around your team norms. Yeah, a shared okay. understanding of the work, a shared understanding of, you know, what's being accomplished and where things stand. You know, we talked about team building, you know, protecting team members from burnout. Um, we had a lot of teams in our study who were on 24-7. You know, that time zone difference, it, it didn't matter. They felt like they needed to be responsive and responsible all the time at any time. So really clarifying when you need to be connected and when responses are due 
um, is important for teams to stay connected and engaged. A lot of organizations don't provide training on, you know, for team leaders or for team members, and this would be mm-hmm. training in general. A lot of them believe it's just another team and they need a little bit more, but don't really, you know, think about what's going to be different in terms of technology, what's going to be different in terms of building relationships. And a lot of the teams we worked with, organizations, did not budget for face-to-face time. And yet we know from research that virtual team members need to be together. They need to be together when the team is just in that early stage of norming and forming, and they need to be face-to-face when there's decision-making that needs to be done that has a lot of conflict underlying it. So we know they need face-to-face time. Yes. Is there, I heard different um, being together when there are tough decisions to make. Is there a, a recommended frequency or it really depends on the work the team's up to? I think it depends on the work that the team, uh, I, I think it does. It depends on the kind of work that they have and how interdependent that work is. Okay. So there's team, yeah, there's teams where the members do work and they do their part and they pass it on to the next one and the next one does their part and they pass it on to the other. So the more interdependent that work is, then the more time they need together. I came out of a large consulting firm, or a couple of them, and, and we did budget. And I mean, fortunately, we could at that point in time. This was a long time ago for ongoing meetings. But I think a lot of organizations now are are less inclined and maybe less able. And the international travel, because so many more of us are on global teams, it's not like we all fly two time zones away. Right. And right. And I, you know, and I understand that that's part of the reason why the use of virtual teams have grown is that you can pull your best talent together regardless of where they're located. But there's not a lot of thinking about, oh, gosh, you know, what's that value that you get face-to-face that you, that's really hard to construct when you're virtually, when you're virtual, rather. Now, you've talked about technology, and, and I think of just because this is what we predominantly use is something like a Zoom where you can see and you can use conference rooms and things like that. I assume that also helps. It does. It does. So um, being able to see facial expressions and um, body language really helps, just like it does when you are meeting face-to-face. You know, it gives you a sense about if people are paying attention or not paying attention, if they've started to tune you out, um, if they've got that furrowed brow look, there's confusion or questions. It really is helpful um, to stay connected and to understand your team members in in that way. So how about the end? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say a, a survey of 440 professionals across eight different industries found that 60% of the organizations don't provide any training. Oh, interesting. So we, yeah, we have a huge opportunity here. And, you know, there's not only the training on the, on the tools but and which ones to use but when to use them. You know, it would be horrible to send feedback over email. <laughs> 
So really um, knowing what to use, when to use it, and how to use it is just uh, kind of maybe a taken-for-granted um, step that all teams need, but it is really important. So I want to circle this back to polarities then and how we use the polarity map to manage, because I think each of these things we've talked about, like um, connected versus autonomous, um, managing, bringing my best people into solving every wicked problem versus killing them, it sounds like there are a lot of polarities at play in almost everything we do as a team. Yes, and, you know, we studied it in terms of virtual teams, but these polarities that we looked at exist in teams in general. And I mentioned before about that tension that exists, where there's that kind of healthy tension. You know, the team really should be paying attention to both sides of the pole. Okay. That makes sense. So we are almost at closing time. Can you give us some, where would someone find more about CCL, about your papers, about about you? Do you have uh, contact information? Yes. The easiest thing to do to find uh, more papers and information about this is to go to ccl.org. So it's Center for Creative Leadership, ccl.org. And there you can search for polarities. You can even search and find my name and contact information in there. And I assume you also have information if I searched virtual teams, there would be a a wealth of resources on that as well? Gosh, I hope so, yes. Another thing you can do, (laughs) if you're really interested in things that you would like to assess polarities in your team or in your organization, The uh, Polarity Partnerships site is another good place to go. And and that's the Polarity Partnerships site, so I would just Google Polarity Partnership? Yes. Okay. Great, Jean, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really insightful. And for leaders listening, the, the topic both of polarity thinking and of managing virtual teams are foundational. Not all of us manage virtual teams, but most of us work within them at some point in time. And as leaders, especially as we mature and look for ways to continue to improve and grow, learning when we're managing problems versus when we're managing polarities is really foundational to our effectiveness. So this this is brilliant and really important information, Jean. Thank you. Thank you. 